At 4ZZZ we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging of the Turbul and Jagera people. We acknowledge that their sovereignty over this land was never ceded. And we stand in solidarity with them. You're listening to Transmission on 4ZZZ. Amplifying the trans and gender non-conforming voices of Brisbane and beyond. Good morning, Mianjin. My name is Ez. I use he, him pronouns. And I'm joined in studio by a very special guest today. Hello. Hi, my name is Ellen. I use they, them, or she, her pronouns. How you doing? I'm really good. Yeah, it's really fun to be in the in the station on a Tuesday. In the morning? Um, in the morning. I mean, no, I feel like not many people are here on a Monday when I am usually in for megahertz, so it's a good vibe. Yeah, yeah. I used to be in on Mondays and used to hang out with you, but mm. then I left you. It's true. <laughs> I forgive you. It's okay. <laughs> We're hanging out now, and it's a really special week this week. It's Transgender Awareness Week. Are you aware that I'm trans? I <laughs> That's kind of how I feel like walking around. <laughs> Are you aware? Are you aware? You should be aware. Cool. Good. I'm glad. Mm. <laughs> Job done. Um, yeah, it's Transgender Awareness Week, and Ellen and I will be chatting about Ozpath. Mm. So we'll get into that a bit more later on. But first, we have the week in community events and news, and we also have a giveaway. So if you're interested in Bones Alternative Queer Party, which is happening at the Bright Side this Friday on the 17th of November from 8pm till quite late, 2am, tickets are normally $22 from Oztix. It's Australia's Alternative Queer Party Bones returns to Mianjin with punk as F bands, drag, burlesque, DJs and community. Uh, They've got Apollo, Sacred Hearts and Whale House performing, which Mm. is just awesome. Mm -hmm. And if you want two tickets for you and a friend, the first person to message in what awareness week it is wins two tickets to this awesome party. So text in on 0420626733 for your chance to win two tickets. Tell me, what awareness week is it this week? Are you aware? Are you? Text in and uh, yeah, tickets will be yours. Also, we've got this Wednesday from 15th, so 15th of November from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. is the Global Fight for Trans Justice, which is an online event where you'll hear from key advocates in the UK, US, Canada, and so-called Australia about the global fight for trans justice. You'll get to hear about the lessons learned, the ways that anti-trans lobby is organizing globally, and most importantly, how we can fight back here at home. So yeah, that's a completely free event. You can RSVP online. It's the global global fight for trans justice. Humanitics. Get onto that. Yeah. Also, moving away from some events now, we're going to talk about some news. This, this is pretty interesting. So trans people can be baptized in church and be godparents, says the Vatican. Yay. Just the people we wanted approval from. The Vatican's doctoral, <laughs> doctrinal office has said that transgender people can, under certain circumstances, be baptized in the Catholic Church and serve as godparents in a statement that has been hailed as a major step for trans inclusion. In a document approved and published by Pope Frankie Francis, sorry, noted that a transgender person, even if they have undergone hormone therapy, reassign- sex reassignment surgery, can receive baptism under the conditions as other faithful. 
Just so you know, if you're a trans person that does not have hormone therapy or had sex reassignment surgery, you are still trans and valid. And as far as I'm concerned, you should still also be baptized as who you are. The decision came with a caveat. Such baptisms were possible, it is. it said, if there are no situations in which there is a risk of generating a public scandal or confusion among the faithful. The document was published as a response to six questions sent in by a Brazilian bishop in July regarding the participation of LGBTQ plus people in baptisms and weddings. It noted that transgender adults could serve as godfathers and godmothers at the discretion of local priests who should exercise pastoral prudence to ensure there is no risk of scandal or undue legitimization in the educational sphere of the church community. Okay. So, uh, D. Bernardo, whose ministry has long pushed for greater acceptance in the church, told the Associated Press, It is a major step for trans inclusion. He described it as a confirmation that the Pope and high-ranking church leaders do not see gender identity as a de facto barrier when it comes to participation in Catholic sacraments. Uh, We hope that church leaders will apply these guidelines by following Pope Francis' example of extravagant welcome, rather than using them to continue old restrictions. So, um... Hell yeah! That's great! If you are of Catholic faith and trans, know that your leader <laughs> welcomes you. Um, and that's great. I think acceptance in every field should be, should be a thing, uh, regardless of your religious beliefs. So this is a step forward, and we'll take it. We will take a win. We'll take it where we can. You're listening to Transmission on 4ZZZ. My name is Ez. I use he, him pronouns. My name is Ellen. I use they, them, or she, her pronouns. And just before, we had a giveaway for some tickets to the Queer Bones Alternative Party that's happening at Brightside this Friday. And we have a winner. Ding, 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 Riley, congratulations. You and a friend are going to go on the Brightside this Friday. Congrats. Woo, that's exciting. It's going to be a great gig, but also hopefully a great turnout and a good, fun crowd. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good event. Yeah, the people who run that we've had on the show before and just really cool queer folk from down in Nam, and they come up and they're doing all these cool things in different cities, which is providing lots of spaces for trans folk to be. So, yeah, you should definitely go along to that if you can. Ellen. <gasps> Hi. <laughs> yeah. You, you've been somewhere interesting recently. You've been to a conference of sorts. I have. I went to, yeah, the OSPATH conference. So OSPATH stands for the Australian Professional Association of Transgender Health. And they do a conference, I think it's kind of usually every second year. And yeah, this year it was down in Nam and I went along to that. It was my first time going to this particular conference, but I have been to, you know, LGBTI health conferences before and it's similar crowd, you know. Yeah. Oh, hello, old um, friends. Hello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> oh, we love it. The queer health workforce is like a, a real like scene of its own and yeah, I really, really love it. So, and every, everyone knows each other, which is good. And then you build these connections. A bit networky as well, right? Definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely a bit networky. And honestly, I expected it to be perhaps a bit more clinical based in terms of the attendance. What I mean by that is that it would be primarily sort of doctors, nurses, researchers, people who are, you know, considered to be clinicians who would be registered with APRA, where in in reality, it was quite a diverse section of the health workforce. So you also had people who were in peer roles, you know, social workers, counsellors, all kinds of different roles within uh, healthcare provision. Yeah, cool. Oh, my gosh. And you had a chat with a couple of, well, a few people. I did. I did have a chat with a few people. So generally, 
it was very diverse. It was a we talked a lot about youth. There was a big focus on youth within the conference. It was only sort of one session on aging and particularly on um, dementia and experience trans people's experiences of dementia, which I found really interesting. But yeah, big focus on youth, big focus on rural and regional trans people and their access to care, big focus on uh, First Nations trans people brother, oh, great. brother boys and sister girls and other gender non-conforming folk and there was a great disability panel that i thought was really awesome so yeah it was quite diverse also sort of a, a multicultural representation and forum that went on there uh, and one of them was yeah also a forum about trans people's experiences of um prison and incarceration oh wow um, yeah and that kind of thing so i've got a couple of interviews that I got just little little sound bites, L- little bits, little, little bits. bits, little bits. Uh, we're going to hear from Jackie Turner. Yeah. Excellent. I am here at the Transgender Health Conference with Jackie. Thanks for speaking with me. Can you introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Jackie. I'm the director of the Trans Justice Project. Uh, we're an organisation dedicated to building a powerful trans-led movement, uh, fighting for justice, freedom, and equality for all trans and gender diverse people. Um, and I'm based out of Sydney. Incredible. And what are some of the biggest issues for trans health in the modern context? I think what we're seeing right now is a really organised disinformation campaign against trans health that's looking to remove the bodily autonomy of trans people. But also, um, deeper than that, it's being used as a wedge to undermine our rights um, and access to care um, overall. So I think one of the really concerning things um, coming out of particularly the US and the UK is that we're seeing that disinformation, so lies about our healthcare, are being used to actually inform laws and uh, bans on gender-affirming care in lots of these places. It's something that we're only just starting to see the beginning of in Australia, but certainly there's been a lot of media um, attention on these issues, platforming disinformation um, and not acknowledging kind of where this stuff is coming from. And it's something that I think the community really needs to stand up against and start working with allies on how we make sure that people are inoculated against this stuff mm. and can recognise it when it comes up in their own context. Mm. And do you have any advice for what those uh, allies or the general public can can do or what they should be aware of? Yeah, so there's a few resources that the Trans Justice Project has put out. Um, we released an article uh, earlier this year on four ways that you can recognise anti-trans disinformation. It looks at the kinds of organisations that are spreading it, the kinds of common myths or like conspiracy theories that they spread, and also the kinds of language that they use, because they use language that isn't really accepted by the community, and many of us would see as quite stigmatising or pathologising. I think one of the big giveaways here is that lots of um, the disinformation that is facing the trans community frames trans people as a problem to be fixed. We you know, uh, something that needs uh, curing, we're not okay just by ourselves. And we know that's not true, right? Like, trans people obviously have existed um, all throughout history. We live, you know, diverse, beautiful, joyful lives when we're supported to be who we are and have the freedom to um, be ourselves. Um, And what we need is to have more uh, control over the decisions that affect our lives, not less. Thank you so much for your time. Great, thanks. Aw, Jackie. Yeah, so as she said, she's the head of the Trans Justice Project and as she mentioned in that interview, there is some really awesome resources that they have up on their website as well. Yeah, I've got Jackie coming in the studio next week. There well, you go. not in the studio, 
Kind of in the studio. Oh, you'll, no. You'll hear her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, we've had another one of the people that you spoke to, Nico, about prison abolition and works in that space. Mm. Um, she's been on here on Transmission as well before, talking about activism and what we can do. What did you guys chat about? We So, she was there uh, with uh, Whit Gorey and two incredible women who were recently released from uh, prison who had both sort of begun their med- their medical transition at least whilst incarcerated and we're just talking about like the different ways that that, that sort of is treated in prison like obviously it's not a good time mm. um, and I mean you are very isolated there's obviously a lot of transphobic violence there's a lot of homophobic violence and there is very little that's done to protect you sometimes when people are put into protection what that means is you're just put into a separate uh, either solitary confinement you can be left in solitary confinement for a long time for your own protection which is actually really terrible for people's mental health mm-hmm. or you're put into the protection sort of area which is where a lot of people who have committed quite um, intense sexual violence are also housed. So you're, you know, before your own protection, being housed with the most violent offenders, which has pretty catastrophic consequences uh, for people's physical safety. But there was also talk about how, you know, in prison there are Christian groups, there are Muslim groups, there are First Nations groups, there's other cultural groups that are allowed but like queer meetups, you know, or, or peer support groups are really not allowed as much because we're in- inherently seen as sexual, right? So they think that having like an LGBTI plus sort of support group within the prison is just like a hookup. Yeah. So right. that's like not allowed. And having people come into the prison to sort of facilitate that space. Yeah, it's really difficult to get access to do that. Whereas for so many other different demographics, that support is um, provided. Yeah, right. All right, should I push play on? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. This is uh, Nico Abrucci. Yeah, hello everyone. I'm Nico. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a white trans woman from Mianjin. I'm a social worker and a prison abolitionist, a law student. And yeah, thanks for having me. So I'd like to know what happens when a trans person is arrested, when they're remanded and when they're incarcerated in Queensland? Yeah, so I think the big first issue that has been spoken about this week is that in Queensland when a trans person gets you know, taken into a watch house, they're only ever kept in a solitary confinement cell and what that means is, you know, they do not have access to calling doctors or family or have you know they're completely isolated there, put in a medical gown and you know, completely restricted from any support or way of, yeah, accessing their friends, family or what they need, obviously, in a watch house. And how are um, trans people placed or housed for incarceration? So in the watch house, yeah, like I said, they're just they're put in solitary confinement cells um, and then once they go to prison, trans people are only ever put in the prison according to their genitalia it's got nothing to do with how they identify other you know gender affirming care surgeries that they've had it's people are reduced completely to their genitalia and are people able to access any sort of gender affirming care uh, when they're in prison 
I think the big thing that's been highlighted this week all over, you know, so-called Australia is that what's in policy and what's in practice are two completely different things. So, you know, corrections all around might have these policies that say people can or they can start gender-affirming care when they're inside, but the reality is that's not happening. I know that I've supported one person who's been able to start hormones while in custody, and that took 10 months. They had to move from their friends and family in Brisbane and move up to Rockhampton and you know what's going on is that people aren't affirming getting you know life-saving of life-saving gender affirming care inside it's just not happening and is this sounds like it's pretty similar across all of the states in so-called Australia yeah people in Victoria you know we're talking this week about how there's none of that gender affirming care in Victorian prisons we know it's not happening in New South Wales I don't it's not yeah it's not happening anywhere where it should be And what avenues of support are available to trans prisoners in Queensland? You've mentioned um, supporting some people yourself. Yeah, so there are, you know, a few of us that are trying to provide support to trans people inside, but the reality is there's no trans-only support service in Queensland, let alone a trans support, you know, service for people inside. So trans people are really, really looked past and neglected both by, you know, services in prison which are limited already and also services in the community so the reality is it's not really there thank you so much for your time that there was nico brochi chatting with ellen at the ozpass conference recently amplifying the voices of the trans and gender non-conforming community of mianjin brisbane and beyond transmission on 4ZZZ brings you the latest in trans community news music and events Every Tuesday from 9am till 10am, join our team of hosts for an hour of celebrating the unique perspectives of the trans community. Transmission, Tuesday mornings from 9am till 10am on 4ZZZ. You're listening to Transmission. My name is Ez. I use he, him pronouns. My name's Ellen. I use they, them pronouns. And we're chatting about Ozpath. And we've got some... Go on, go on, Ellen. I'm going to hand hand you the, <laughs> the control. You know what's up. All right. Um, Ozpath, yeah, it's the Australian Professional Association of Transgender Health, so it was like a trans health conference. I was speaking a bit earlier about the, all the different kinds of things that uh, was covered there. I think some things that our community is really looking for are obviously some big Medicare reforms, particularly in making gender-affirming care less specialised. So... I believe, you know, there has been some changes around on paper what people need to go through, what hoops they need to jump through to access hormones. And that has become, you know, a little bit less sort of restrictive, but there's so much more to be done. And even where GPs can initiate that process, as we were just speaking about off air, so many don't feel confident in that. And the training isn't necessarily there and where it is there unfortunately there's not always the interest and I think you know this is part of a wider picture GPs are already you know can in some situations a bit underpaid overworked but we we want them to take up this more specialist care and that's not just for hormones that's for um, reproductive stuff and a provision of abortions but also prep and pep and that kind of thing as well 
in New Zealand, for instance, like nurse practitioners. So a nurse practitioner is a nurse who has specialised in a certain area and has the right to order certain tests and prescribe certain medications within their specialty. So they might be a cardiology nurse practitioner. They might be a sexual health nurse practitioner. Sexual health nurse practitioners in New Zealand can initiate hormone therapy, which I think is really cool because the nurse practitioner often has a lot more time. And this one nurse practitioner I was hearing from, you know, he can prescribe hormones for people and he can also teach them how to shave and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, it's like a holistic (laughs) model of care, which we love. And we want more of that. Yeah. In here, reproductive health nurse practitioners can do uh, abortion and provision and uh, you can have nurse practitioners prescribe PrEP, which is a medication to prevent HIV acquisition. But yeah, you we don't have that for for hormones. Also about like the peer process, we want to see more peer workers involved in this space. Um, it's a huge thing in the mental health space, less so in the sexual health space. That's kind of what I do. But like to have like a guide to take you through that gender affirming care process and explain the different care pathways and what the different surgical options are. You know, we talk about top surgery, bottom surgery, but there are so many options within that 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 people often don't even know are available to them. And then even with hormones, like you don't have to take it as prescribed. And I mean, again, back to the Medicare, there's no you know, like sort of line item number for like trans men taking testosterone, right? It has to go through as if you are a cis dude needing hormone replacement therapy. That's that's how they make the call. You have to to go see a sexual health specialist or a gender specialist, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, is not covered by Medicare either. So that's a fee that you fork out. Mm -hmm. And then once you've been like, yep, it's official, you can't produce your own testosterone. And then they make a phone call. My doctor made a phone call while I was in the room and basically listed a um, their medical number and then went, yep, the patient I'm seeking is this name and it will be whatever your legal name is on your birth certificate because mm. that's how it has to go through. And then they'll go, um, yep, he has this, like my patient has, uh, basically it, the testes don't work. Yeah, you've got a testosterone <laughs> deficiency. My testes don't work. That's, yeah, what, that's basically yeah, yeah, what they're yeah. saying. And it's like, yeah, they don't work because they're not there. Yeah, they don't exist. <laughs> they don't exist. Yeah. So, um, and then that's how that prescription works. And then I don't have to see that specialist ever again because I have that diagnosis, basically. Uh-huh. The uh, non-testy diagnosis. And then it's a matter of finding a GP that's willing to dispense it to me. Yeah. And give me that script. So... Yeah, it's mm. it's silly. It is silly. There's, and, there's a uh, lot... There's no, yeah, Medicare line item numbers for uh, a lot of the surgeries as well. No, none, really. Yeah. Um, unless... Unless... You have had, let's just say you're a cis woman who had uh, breast cancer and then you wanted to get a breast reconstruction. That'll be covered. Yeah, but, and, and, and it's interesting, and you can, I was just about to say, well, well, yeah, because it's not gender affirming, but it is. In actual fact, it that, is. I would argue that is gender affirming care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want the boob back because it makes you feel like a woman. Yeah, yeah. And, right? and it, makes, it gives you a sense of bodily integrity, right? Yeah. That's how your body should look. That's how you perceive your body. You feel wrong when you look in the mirror yeah. with your missing breasts. Uh-huh. I, I'm like, wow, these all sound very similar to yeah. Trump's Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I would argue that, and same with male pattern baldness, Mm -hmm. you wanting to get your hair back, I would argue is also to do with maybe youth as well, but also your masculinity and, uh, you know, being able to grow a full beard, you know, I'm sure there's lots of young men out there that 
regardless of gender, that struggle to grow facial hair in as fast and as thick and as full as the way you want it, and that mm-hmm. makes you feel emasculated, maybe. Uh, I'm telling you now, that's also a gender-affirming to have mm. b- the beard that you're after. So, yeah. So this interview with Lucy Solange that we're about to play is... I mean, she works in the sort of peer space as sort of a navigator through that, but also doing a bunch of research. And it's meant to be sort of provocative. She's just asking people to sort of reimagine what the best standard could be for trans healthcare rather than you know treating it constantly as a risk to be mitigated yeah so my name is lucy solange i a couple of years back did a thesis based on um the ways we look at and view gender affirming care and basically basically looking around looking at gender affirming care policies and asking what problem they're actually trying to fix and in a lot of my research i found that these policies are primarily trying to fix perceived risk or focus on access which basically means getting the person gender affirming care as long as they tick off a whole big set of boxes as opposed to just letting us get the care because it's an exempt it's part of what we have a human right to do as a you know beings that deserve autonomy um functionally based off of that i in the presentation i did today made an argument that we really need to start treating over-the-counter hormones as a gold standard so that people can just access the care without needing to go through all the medical gatekeeping that's currently present and that even for the breast practitioners is just inherent within the biomedical systems they work within. Um, ultimately, it's pre- going to be pretty difficult to get there, but I think some of the big steps are moving towards peer partnership models where lived experience workers get to work in partnership with community members who are seeking gender-affirming care to help support them to get access to the care and help support them with anything they might need prior to or during access of gender-affirming care. And then after that, potentially moving towards peer practitioner models, where once you get a bajillion licenses sorted out, given that provision of hormones is usually relatively simple, as easily admitted by many of the endocrinologists I'm friends with, it'll just kind of, again, remove one of those steps and place more of that control of what happens to our community with our community members, ideally moving it towards being centred in the individual, but in the meantime, each of these steps totally centre that more in our community. Absolutely. I really um, appreciated your reframing of of gender-affirming care from a risk management perspective to an uh, autonomy-focused lens. So thank you so much for speaking to us today, Lucy. Anytime. Thank you. Yeah, nice. You were just saying, Ellen. I was just saying, trans bodies are treated as a liability. I think that's why we have this hesitancy by GPs to... uh, do hormone therapy it's why we you know don't have i think medicare surgeries it's because these things have always been seen as so experimental so risky and no one wants to take take the risk even though you know all of the data supports the fact that the rate of regret for these sort of surgeries is quite low much lower than knee replacements or hip replacements and and you, not, the risk isn't really there. No. And also with, like, hormone blockers, as you were saying before. Yeah, it's not a new thing. Like, none of this is new. Also, like, we've been doing, like, surgeries like this for, like, 
hundreds of years. But yeah, I mean, when kids have precocious puberties, so like girl children who might start menstruating when they are quite young, sometimes even they're like five or six, you can just stop that by giving them puberty blockers, which is something we have been doing for decades. And people who are like, well, it's wrong for us to intervene with a child. We don't know what this child wants. Like, how have intersex children been handled and treated for the past several decades? Exactly. Also, their bodies Mm. are seen as a liability Mm. that need to be chopped and changed into a box that's more comfortable for people. So to argue that we haven't been doing these interventions with children and they're a new thing is just completely non-factual. It's a lie. It's a complete outright lie and it's propaganda to say otherwise. Because really, you know, we have been bending human bodies to this binary for how long? Maybe two, three, four hundred years, really, in a Western sense. There are cultures that have been around for tens of thousands of years that were not operating on children and conforming them into this into spaces. They were not doing that, and they haven't done that. It's You have been lied to. You know, trans bodies have always been and always will be, regardless of whether we have access to surgery or not. There is that fact. But why shouldn't we if we're already doing that for cis counterparts? It doesn't make sense. I mean, the whole idea of transhood is in itself kind of a Western colonial concept because the word transgender like doesn't even go back very long in history because it could just be accepted that people's, you know, identities were different. And, you know, the idea that there's only two genders, also a very Western colonial sort of concept. So, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. We're running out of time. I know, we're running out of time. Uh, You're listening to Transmission on 4ZZZ. My name is Ez. I use he, him pronouns. My name's Ellen. I use they or she. It's the end of our Trans Awareness Week. great time. Thanks for bringing, thanks for having me in. Thank you for doing all this great work going down to NAM and uh, chatting to people at OzPath Conference. And yeah, it's oh, great. If work pays me to go, I'll go. <laughs> you know? Take me. Let me go. We just want to end the episode today on some positive vibes. Well, you know, remember, trans bodies are natural. Natural. They're normal. normal. Natural. They happen. They occur in nature without any human uh, intervention. Mm. Trans bodies are real and valid. And it's Trans Awareness Week, so please be aware of the community and what's your language. You know, maybe maybe you're speaking in a lot of he's and hers. Maybe you're thinking about gender as, as biology, which is not true. You know, look out for one another and be kind to one another. And um, stick up for trans people, um, especially if you're a cis ally out there listening. The best way to stick up for trans people is to correct people on pronouns even when they're not there. When we're not around, when trans people aren't in the room, who are you? And that's kind of how I see people all the time, is who you are by yourself and how you have private conversations with, that will tell the world who you are more than what you do when you stand up on a microphone, when you're in the studio, on radio even. Mm -hmm. It's all about what you do within your community and with the small group of people that you may spend every week, every day of your week with. So, yeah, keep fighting the good fight. And to our trans listeners... I love you. We Transmission love you. love you. And you are valid and you can be however the heck you want to be. You don't owe the world real. You don't owe the world anything that they think that you're supposed to be. You don't owe them anything. You just need to be you and drink plenty of water. And don't forget to listen to things that make you laugh and make you smile and enjoy life because it's too short to be bothering with all the other nonsense sometimes. So look after yourselves. Look after one another. Be kind. And thank you for listening to Transmission, of course. Woohoo! Yo! Four Triple Z! Four Triple Z! Thanks for listening to Transmission, and we'll see you all next Tuesday. Bye! Bye!
thank you so much for listening to Transmission. See you next Tuesday, 9 to 10 a.m. on 4ZZZ.